Thank you, Melon. It's good to see you again. I haven't seen you in about 10 years, and Manuel, I, <laughs> it's good to see you. And I think I saw Eric back there. Uh, it's kind of like old home week. I'm reconnecting <laughs> with my old clients. Um, but some of my old clients used to be cops. They were black cops. They were women officers, the good cops. And I've sued police for at least a good 15 years. I'd wake up every day trying to figure out a new way to sue LAPD, because we were at war. <laughs> We were, we were at war with LAPD 15 years ago. And I came late to the party, uh, you know. <laughs> it was, uh, those lawsuits had been pioneered by the ACLU and by the police misconduct lawyers, Carol, uh, Carol Watson and Humanis, and there were dozens. The only check that the police had to respond to, the only check on the sort of pervasive abuse in the 40s, 50s, 60s, and even before then, 70s, 80s, and the early 90s, were the lawsuits because the politicians would not rein in LAPD. The police commission had no control over LAPD, and LAPD operated as a hyper-aggressive paramilitary intimidation force that specialized in mass humiliation of the community, the black community in particular. That was its historic role. That was the role that it was assigned by the body politic in LA. Read Joe Dominic's, Dominic's history of LAPD, uh, called To Protect and Serve, Los Angeles Police Department's Century of War and the City of Angels. It gives you a wonderful history of it. My book, Power Concedes Nothing, tells the story of the last 20 years. And, and I decided um, when LAPD hit, hit bottom uh, at the end of the Rampart scandal that at that point and that point only, could you begin to have the conversations? Manuel said that he was working with uh, Chief Pacinger, uh, one of the African-American top, he's the top uh, uh, black, uh, and, and Earl Pacinger, I, I, you know, he, he used to object to my Prius being in the parking lot at Parker Center because he said it was a liberal car and <laughs> and he he would announce over there putting that that there was a there, there was there was an alien blue prius and blue priuses don't belong with crown vicks so earl and i we, we would do more and 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 he would not talk to me for the first three years that i stopped suing and went into the inside to work with cops because i had sued the police department so Manuel, that that conversation that you had 10 years ago there would have been no conversation he'd have put you in jail so Earl didn't talk. Earl is an old guard crash officer. Uh, you do not want to see him at 2 o'clock in the morning. As a lawyer, you didn't want to depose him. Uh, intimidation is his middle name. And this today, I've got him on speed dial. He's got my home numbers. I've got his home numbers. And here's what I, here's what I want to leave folks with. If I were in Oakland, I'd be suing every day. I just came back from New York to talk from the Muslim American leader has asked me, how can we get the relationship with NYPD that LA has with LAPD? Uh, now that's how, that's how, that's, that's, it's all relative folks, it's all relative. And I said, you can't. Because NYPD, and this is gonna sound strange, is a traumatized police force, and it's a traumatized police force that has set up a sovereign police state. It has its own international uh, surveillance. It has its own intelligence arm. It is abrogating international treaties. It is running amok internationally. It is running amok in terms of the mass stops. It makes LAPD look like, you know, Mother Teresa. Um, I was stunned 
to talk to police observers who are ex-cops. I'm not, I'm not talking to my friends, my progressive friends. I'm not talking to civil rights lawyers, which is my tribe. Uh, I'm not talking to African-American leaders. I'm talking to old guard police who actually believe in the Constitution. And I ask them what's wrong with NYPD. So believe me, I am steeped in police abuse. I have deposed hundreds of cops. Carol Sobel and Paul Hoffman and Mark Rosenbaum, and we, we have done you know, class actions together forever against cops, against the sheriffs, against LAPD in particular. And being in that world, it is all relative from my vantage point. The, the, the organizing and the social movement has got to go forward. And what I would say about that is that, that that is part of the reason that we could do our cases. Because the social movements, at least there was some part of the public expressing objection to this norm. And I forget which speaker said that we had accepted it as a norm, that it was okay to be pulled out of your car. Well, for the upper middle class, my friends, the buppies, uh, they just wanted to be treated like the yuppies, and they didn't particularly care, care if Pookie and Latasha got pulled out. But they, they wanted to have the same class privilege and, uh, that, 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 that people like me expect. I'm Sally Hemings, by the way, you know, in the, in the slavery story. We were the how, you know, half slave owners and slaves, uh, the children of slave owners and slaves. So, and our American policing stems from our history of slavery. And, and, and it comes from the plantation system. It was a suppression containment system. You had to keep the slaves on the plantation. And then when they escaped, you brought them back. And um, Chief Bratton didn't know what I was talking about. He used to look at me like I'd lost my medication when I would say this. <laughs> and uh, because if you're not inside, you can't have these conversations with the police. And I'm just going to share. I, I, I was in my favorite slave artifact store, the uh, uh, Sable Images down on Crenshaw. It's no longer there. You have to buy the stuff online. But I called Gail. And I went down there and I saw this poster that said in that great big escaped, uh, uh, you know, the old Western font, beware escaped slaves, beware of Boston police, they will return you to the plantation. And I thought, oh, this is a perfect gift for Bill Bratton. And, <laughs> and I, I got it framed in a nice heavy frame. And, and I was working with Bratton. You have to remember, he brought me into the police department. He's very smart. And I said, I have, a, I have a complaint ready to file against you. I don't even know you. I said, but I've sued every chief LAPD has had, and I'm getting ready to sue you. And he said, I want you to do an investigation of the rampart. And he was very smart. He gave me an investigation to do so I couldn't sue him. And in doing that, I, d I was determined to create a relationship with him to see whether he could be a transformer of LAPD's mindset. Because while lawyers can win a consent decree, we can win a lawsuit. While we're winning our lawsuits, our clients are still losing their lives. Right. And while we're winning our lawsuits, nothing changes in the mindset of the cops. Nothing changes in their treatment of the community. And to do that, you've got to go inside the police department, which is what I did. The pressure from the community has to keep up. I'm not saying, I'm saying that there are several fronts on which these wars are fought. I was in a position to be able to go in, because I'd sued so many cops, I learned how to talk to them. And when he gave me that investigation, I learned how to understand their fears. And I learned to think about what cops do in terms of what we ask them to do. Containment suppression is something that we ask all urban police forces to do. The, when I say we, I say the body politic. The profiling takes place at the community level. Every cop polices differently in South LA 
from the policing they do in West LA. Right. Every cop in Chicago's police department polices differently in the black community than in more privileged, or, or not, not just the black community. If there's an upper class black enclave, the, the, the policing is also different. So it's class compounded with race compounded. It's class compounded with disadvantage of all kinds, immigration, language, isolation. So when I went on the inside and I gave him this poster, I framed it, I put on up there a plaque and I said, Dear Chief Bratton, I bought you this poster because it reminded me of the 300 years of headwinds that we've inherited from a system that you and I are both trying to turn around. Thank you for having the courage to change the wind. Your colleague in civil rights, Connie Rice. Now when I handed it to him, he acted like he was very happy to see it. He said, oh my goodness, this is great. And we, he took it around the sixth floor of Parker Center, which is where all the brass are, and every one of his command officers blanched in horror, okay? <laughs> one of the assistant chiefs actually took it down off the wall and put it behind the couch while I was still there. He was so appalled by it. And then Chief Bratton said, where did you get this? And I said, at a slave artifact store. I, he said, I want to go. And I'm telling you the story because it links back to the slavery and the me mentality of the police. And so he says, I want to go. So I called Gail, the proprietress, and I said, yes. She says, our white police chief wants to come to my slave artifact store. I said, yes, get the shop ready. You're going to have to open it early. We have this great big black SUVs. You thought it was the president coming. You know, we, we land in front of the store. He has some appointments later. But he goes, here we are with our Scottish-American police chief and these two African-American women going through lynching ropes, shackles, when he picked up the child shackles, Chief Bratton wept. We were looking at posters. We were looking at mammy dolls and picaninny corkscrews, all of the paraphernalia from the Jim Crow and slavery eras. And then he saw the cabinet with all of the plantation police badges. And he said, open this cabinet up. And she put out about nine of them. And he was stunned. He said, this is what you've been trying to tell me. I said, yes. He picked it up and he said, it looks exactly the same as today's police badge, only where Greenacres Plantation is, Los Angeles Police Department is instead. And he said, Connie, now I get it. He bought two of them and they sit in his collection now. I tell this story to say that because of Chief Bratton, Chief Pacinger will actually talk to Manuel. You could not have gone to LAPD with your great campaign, Labor Community Strategy led the charge, to end the truancy ticketing that, 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 that puts students who study into the criminal justice system for being late because their MTA bus delivered them to school late. I mean, that was our other case, wasn't it, Manuel? Um, so. But, but here was, here was the thing. If, if 10 years ago, they were not allowed to talk to anybody. They were in a state of war. They were an occupation police force. Now, people who still live in communities that have been the, the object of intimidation policing, they're going to think I've lost my medication because they're going to be like that old guard sergeant that still does thumbs down in the back of the squad room and still kind of looks, hunts for me at, at 10 o'clock at night. 
he ain't changed, Connie. What, you know, what, what drug are you on? I'm talking about the transformation of the mindset of the leaders at the top. The reason that Earl Pacinger, who is a, is a paramount intimidator cop, he's very effective, he's brilliant, um, and scary as hell, he would never have had that conversation. He would have fought sharing that crime data. He would never have allowed the Advancement Project to map their crime data on something they didn't control. So the pro we've, we've made a lot of progress, and, 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 and I, will, I will give just two more examples and then open it up. And you just need to know that, I mean, people have blogged that I've gone to the dark side. I absolutely have. I mean, I've got a parking space at the, at the police, the new police headquarters, okay? You just need to know. And the reason that I've stayed there is because when Chief Bratton and Chief Beck say they're going to back something, they back it. And when we wrote our call to action report with a whole bunch of grassroots groups, with a whole bunch of retired cops, with teachers, with uh, the most importantly public health officials, including World Health Organization epidemiologists who study gang violence as a disease, and say that you cannot arrest your way out. That report said you cannot arrest your way out of the gang problem. You cannot continue a mass incarceration strategy and actually bring down the violence and the killings and create a healthy community with arrests. We have to go from arrests to a public health wraparound ecosystem strategy. Do you know who told the mayors and the county supervisors to go to hell when they said they didn't want to do it? It was Sheriff Baca and Chief Bratton. They stood by us and they insisted. They brought the prosecutors with them and they said, we cannot arrest our way out of it. That left the politicians nowhere to go. They had to adopt the public health strategy as a change in policy. Now, the grassroots came from the organizations like COCO, and we had a whole range of, 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 of grassroots civic organizers who wrote that report with us, along with all of the PhDs. We had the street HDs and the community HDs. And, we, and when you have 47 advocates, including professors, we had lawyers and professors, it meant that it was going to be 1,000 pages long, and it was. But that big report ended up, it's called a call to action. You can get it on our website. It ended up flipping the paradigm for the city of Los Angeles. And the first ask of Chief Charlie Beck, whom I advocated to be the next chief after Bratton, his first ask of the, poli of, 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 of the, um, the city council as chief, when he became chief, was to establish, at the request of gang intervention workers, establish a gang intervention academy. We now have X Grape Street, X 18th Street, ex-gang members who are dedicated to keeping kids from going into the gangs and dedicated to keeping uh, retaliation shootings in the emergency rooms, dedicated to stopping retaliation shootings at the gang funerals. These men, and it's mainly men, but there are a few women, gang intervention experts who taught me the streets are now teaching at the LAPD Academy and the Sheriff's Academy. That was Chief Beck's first ask and the first ask to establish the first gang intervention uh, academy outside of the Pat Brown Institute, which, which, which had the first one. But this is the first one that the city has backed. So I say all of this to say that we have a long way to go to change the DNA of the police force, but we are well on the way to completely changing the direction. I look at the police as a partner because 
Without safety, there are no other civil rights. Without freedom from violence, there are no other freedoms. Thank you. Thank you.